Hello everyone, this is Derek Weitzel, Executive Director of the Harrisburg Young Professionals. The past couple of months we've been putting together a new event series based on one of my personal favorite podcasts, How I Built This by Guy Raz. Similarly, our series, titled How It's Built in the Berg, features some of the iconic builders in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area, who are telling us the ins and outs and how they got started and grew their companies. The events are live and you can check out when our next one is by heading to our website, hyp.org. It's free for members and also $20 if you are not a member. This year, we will be hearing from Artie Tafoya of Appalachian Brewing Company, Jason Webb of Soccer Shots, Ama Johnson, designer and owner of Ama Joe, and Adam Porter of Startup Harrisburg and Provisions, and David Hithaker of the tech company and culture. For our January event, we got to hear from Artie Tafoya, co-owner and COO of Appalachian Brewing Company. Many of you have seen a six-pack of Appalachian Brewing Company root beer maybe sitting on the shelf of a giant grocery store, or maybe stopped by one of their many brew pubs in the central PA area for drinks with some friends. But before all that, and even before he was a Pennsylvanian, Artie was just a guy living in Colorado, hitting the slopes on his snowboard. Larry Binda from the Berg takes it from here. So as uh, Derek just said, I'm the, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Berg, but I'm also the founder of the Berg. And um, I want to bring that up because since we're talking about how it's built in the Berg, I guess I built something in the Berg as well. And a big part of the founding of the Berg actually happened here at ABC, which is what I wanted to, uh, how I sort of want to introduce Artie. Um, about almost exactly 10 years ago, a friend of mine and I were sitting downstairs drinking Scottish ale. And, uh, and it's at that time that we really got down to brass tacks, decided exactly what we were doing, how we were doing it, and actually came up with the name of the Berg for this crazy magazine that we wanted to start. So I don't know what's in here, Artie, but <laughs> whatever it is made me decide to start a magazine as the economy was collapsing, the stock market was collapsing, and print was collapsing. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. It's a liquid uh, business incubator. That's right. <laughs> So if any of you guys out there have a crazy idea to start some crazy business, just drink some of this, and uh, 10 years later, you'll be up here interviewing Artie Tafoya. So, um, so with that, um, I want to introduce Artie. He is the co-founder of Appalachian Brewing Company, and since I just shared a little bit of the origin story of the Berg, I thought we could start with Artie sharing the origin story of ABC. So... Tell us how it all came to be and uh, how you guys got started. Okay, great. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Derek. Thanks to the H, uh, young, profession, young professionals. And also thanks to Larry for uh, agreeing to do this with me tonight. And um, I'm very excited to be here. Um, this has been a great ride for me. Uh, my whole business career has been able, I've been able to do the exact thing that I've loved and I enjoyed for now going, getting close to 30 years. Um, so the way the whole thing got started was on a, a really cool powder day in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, okay? 
wonderful. Uh, we, we had gotten like 24 inches of snow, and I was snowboarding that day. And we used to equate snowboarding in really, really deep powder with dancing on, uh, we called it dancing on the clouds. Because in a, with a snowboard, it's not like skis. Skis sort of go into the snow a little bit. Snowboard's much bigger, wider. So it sort of guides on it glides on top. And um, I came into my business, which was at the very base of, of Steamboat Mat Mountain. And uh, I had snow basically in every orifice and every part of my uh, body that was exposed, right? So I had snow up my nose, I had snow on my ears, I had snow everywhere. And I walk in and there's a, a gentleman sitting just outside the brewery. And he said, hey, I, if you got a minute, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, sure, let me get all this stuff off. Uh, uh, my, the best thing about uh, working and having a brew pub in the mountains uh, in Colorado was that I could ski from about 8 a.m. to about 10.30, and then I could um, make beer from 10.30 in the morning till about 5. I could go home, get dinner. I'd come back and work dinner at the brew pub, and then I'd go out till 2 o'clock in the morning, and I did that every day for like, uh, well, through all the winter, of course. In the summer, the, ch the schedule changed a little bit, right? I got a little more sleep, uh, but that was a great thing about doing that, but uh, when I when I finally uh, uh, got all my ski gear off and went down, uh, the gentleman that was sitting there was one of my current partners, Jack Sprock, and he said, "Hey, uh, I just wanted to ask you a question. We're looking at opening a brewery in Harrisburg, and you know we don't have anybody to help us. Would you help us? You know, I see you have a brew pub here. You guys are very successful. You're doing a great job. Would you help us out?" And uh, and I said, sure, yeah. I do some cult consulting in the summer, but I could really only help you in the summer. And, uh, and they were like, that's fine. We just need some help to get started. So uh, the next thing I remember from that is that I got a letter in the mail, and it said to Artie Tafoya uh, from Sean. And, and I didn't really remember their names, to be honest with you, at that point. It was about a year and a half later. And it was two plane tickets to go up to Victoria, British Columbia to look at a brewery. And it's the same brewery that we have here currently. And I was like, this is pretty forward, right? I mean, these guys just sent me plane tickets, really didn't even check with me. Uh, you know, and, and I don't remember if it was a voucher or whatever. I just remember that, that situation. And I, I always found these guys pretty amazing. Um, their, their vision and their focus to take this building and turn it into what it is today, and it's been this for 21 years. Um, I, I've just always been enamored by these guys that are my two partners now. Uh, and uh, so that's sort of how the whole thing got started. Uh, from there, there have been many, many ups and downs, and I'm sure we're probably going to talk about those a little bit too. Yeah, well, so, so Artie, that's nuts, <clears throat> right? So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I so forgot you, to tell you, you I did so come you, here at you, one point. You, you, meet, you meet these two guys on a ski slope and you decide to abandon your business and come in, in beautiful Steamboat Springs, Colorado yeah. and come here to beautiful Harrisburg, but it's not exactly the same thing. So uh, I'm thinking I'm missing something. There's something here, some part of this story that's not being told. How did they get you here? Well, I came here and, and I was helping them out and, and I said to the guys, hey, Who's going to run this place for you? And I still had a brew pub at this point in time. And they said, well, we're just going to do it by committee. we got a couple friends that know how to do this. 
I've got a couple friends that know how to do this. And, 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 and I said, well, what about you two? And he goes, well, we're just going to sort of stay on the outside a little bit and let, let our friends do the deal, right? And, and I, I, I was thinking about that, and it was always in my, the back of my mind a little bit, you know, to where I, I would help breweries open. Um, I've, I've built, uh, with, with the ones that we've built, I've built about 30 breweries in the United States. And it was something that I could do in the summers when Steamboat Springs or, or my other brewery in Vail weren't very busy. So I found a way to, to find something to do. And that was using the knowledge that I'd basically gained building a brewery for myself. So uh, I always had that in the back of my mind. And uh, fortunately enough, I did sell my brewery in, in Vail. And I ended up getting an offer to, to buy my brewery in Steamboat. And it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Basically, I sold it. And I really had no plans to move to Harrisburg. But I got here, and I always had that thought in my mind that they would tell me, well, just a couple friends are going to help us run this place, and, and it's going to be great. And, and uh, one day they, they sort of said, well, what are you doing now that you sold your business? And I said, well, I don't really know. So crazy enough, my daughter was born in April, April 2nd, and we moved here May 14th, which was about three days before we opened the brewery here. So that's sort of how it ended up happening. My wife still looks at me and says, I can't believe we really did that with a one-month-old baby uh, driving across the country with everything we had, which wasn't a lot because that was back in Steamboat. We didn't really have any, any personal assets. We just skied all the time and, and, and enjoyed life, you know? <laughs> you had to decide sooner or later, do I want to do this or do I want to do this, right? Uh, but that's how I ended up here. And... Um, uh, I'll be honest, I still live in the same house when I moved here, the day that I moved here. And we, we rented the house for about a year and then bought it. And uh, just have fallen in love with the area. And uh, I, I can't imagine right now, and, and with my girls growing up now, that I uh, would rather be anywhere else. Yeah, so you're, t- you're, you're telling me that your, your daughter turns... 21, so she'll actually be able to come here legally and drink <laughs> soon in a I'm couple really months. I'm really excited about yeah. that. <laughs> Here's what daddy does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, tell us some of the, the greatest challenges in getting this place off the ground. Well, I think with, it, with any business, there are unforeseen challenges that you're going to come upon. And one thing we've learned over time is how to not take this process or the process of building a business personally. Um, if you get too involved in the, uh, you know, what it's going to cost, we want to set a budget, right? And we want to follow our budget, but um, not foreseeing that there are going to be a $70,000 problem uh, really is something that you, I think you, it, it took me a while to learn, but it happens all the time. And uh, it's, it's sort of unfortunate, but uh, in this realm of regulation. It could be an L&I thing. It could be a, uh, any other uh, regulatory agency. It could be just a contractor that doesn't do a great job. There can be all those things that we deal with. And, and in this case, it was sort of that way because we were really doing something that no one had really done for a long time in Harrisburg. Um, when we came to Harrisburg and we were, we were going to open a restaurant, I can't tell you how many people I met. And this is a guy walking in from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I walk in and, you know, I meet a guy and he goes, oh, yeah. So you guys aren't selling Budweiser? No. Nope. Uh, you guys aren't selling Miller? No. Coors? 
no. He's like, you'll be in business about 30 days. So just remember that, right? And, uh, and, and, and that, was always, that was always sort of motivation for me a little bit. But I think the process that we went through, uh, a lot of the challenges, we, we, we underfunded because you always do in most cases, uh, unfortunately. Um, and uh, so I, I think when, when I finally got in and saw the books from construction, saw where we were with our loans and saw everything and was, was doing analysis of the, build, of the business, I realized we were about $200,000 in the hole before we opened the doors. And that was due to everything that we had to change. That, that when, you, when you take a building like this and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I got this great building and I'll sell it to you for a dollar, my suggestion is that you turn around and run as fast as you can. Okay? All right. Because you got, you got one other choice, and that is that you actually make it happen, and you're probably going to go at least a, a quarter million to a half a million dollars over budget doing it because it just takes so much more than what we ever imagined. Yeah, so actually, so uh, that was my next question. I was wondering about, about this building, how you came upon it, why you wanted it, what was the, the attraction of it, because from what I know, it was basically a dilapidated shell. So, so maybe tell them even a little of the history of the building, like what it was before uh, how bet. it was built. Um, the building's actually pretty cool uh, in, in terms of history. Um, a couple things that a some people don't know. Uh, it was built in, originally by the Harrisburg Trolley Corporation. We believe that the building was built in 1915, which would make it just about 102 years old. Uh, we don't have any verification of that, just uh, uh, through tax rolls and other things that we checked out, we could see that. Um, but uh, when we first looked at the I remember them calling me. They gave me another plane ticket to come out here. We went through the building that's being torn down on the corner over here. I think we went through a couple buildings down, uh, down this way. And the last building we looked at was this one. And I remember telling them, this would make the coolest brew pub, but you guys are crazy if you think you could take on this project. Well, it turns out that my partners, <laughs> Jack and Sean, they are crazy, certifiably. Um, mostly because they hired me and they hang out with me regularly, but, mo but other because they, they took this building on and they, more amazingly than I ever thought they could, they re rehabilitated it to the place that it is now. I think it still needs a lot of work and we invest in it every year, uh, a lot of money still, uh, but it's what happens when you buy a building that has a heart and soul of something like this, I think. Um, there was another point I was going to make in that. Uh, you asked about so yes well I asked about the building what the origins of the building were but how did how did you find it and how did how did it come to be that um, you decided on this one particularly well we did we went through a bunch and then we found this one um, and what we kept running into with this one was every turn time time we turned around we could make it work um, and we tried to dismiss it. Uh, because it was such a big project, but we were like, okay, well, we can do this. Oh, let's do this, and let's, you know, and, and we can put the bath, oh, yeah, that works, okay. So it ended up being the place that we chose to, to come to. Um, a couple of the things you don't know about this building, though, is, is there was a fire. There have been numerous fires in this building, and we're hoping that's over with. Uh, we don't want, <laughs> yeah, we're hoping that those days are over, but um, one of the biggest fires in Harrisburg history uh, was the Achenbach Printing Factory fire. 
Uh, this was Achenbach printing, and in the 40s, the biggest fire in Harrisburg history happened in this building. It was a four-story building, and there were two firefighters lost in the building when they were fighting this fire. Now, I don't know if they were lost in the building that sort of got torn down on this side. There was one that got torn down on this side. I'm not exactly sure about that, but you can read um, uh, newspaper articles that talk about the two firefighters that lost their lives in, in the Achenbach printing factory. Um, so it was built as a printer originally? Printing uh, no, it was no. built by trolley, uh, oh, the trolley, trolley. Right? They worked on trolley cars here. They'd pull them off of Market Street pull them into these buildings here, and they would do the work on them here. And then they would run them back down Mar down Cameron to Market Street when the trolley was working. Right. So they closed the, they closed the trolleys mm -hmm. in the 30s, I believe. Mm -hmm. They did away with them. So. Right. So then I think they found something to do. And then after uh, Achenbach Printing had it, Keystone Aluminum had it for another about 20 or 30 years. And they pressed aluminum siding in this building uh, until we received the building in... Um, I think we got the building in 1994, 1994-95. Okay, and how, how long did it take you to rehab the building and <clears throat> describe that process a little bit? Uh, it took us from nine, oh, two years, basically, and it, it was amazing. I, would come, I was coming back and forth from Steamboat, and it was amazing to me to see the progress of these guys. And it happened over two years, but it seemed like it was, you know, like two years now seems like it was, you know, 30 days back then, or, you know, from, from the way you're view, viewing it now. Um, but I remember coming back and just seeing the guys and, and, and that progress that was made. And they'd, they'd, I'd come back and they'd have a thousand questions for me. So where do you want this? Where do you want that? What do you want to do here? What do you want to do there? And so I really felt like I was part of the progress. I just had a business to run myself. So I couldn't be here full time. So I always give them full credit. Other than design, I was very instrumental in that. But, other, but all the hard work, I got to give them the full credit for. Uh, other than the, uh, uh, come February of that year, I was here. I would come for full weeks, maybe 10 days, where I would uh, then get in and, and work. But at that point, we were really starting to, to work to develop and start the business, not so much work on the building. Mm -hmm. Now, now um, Harrisburg, I just want to mention this, has, has a, a really rich history of brewing, which, of course, as a, being a largely German settlement is, I guess, not surprising. Before Prohibition, there were a lot of breweries in Harrisburg. In fact, one of them was where the PLC B building is right now. Mm -hmm. That used to be a brewery. But the largest brewery in Harrisburg was right up the street here, um, basically on, on 10th and Market Streets. Um, the name escapes me right now. Grotner. Ro that's right. Grotner. That's yeah. right. Um, and they were, and they not only, they, they, um, a lot of the breweries were kind of small, but this was actually a regional brewery and exported a, a lot of its beer. So, um, so you're in good, good location for, yeah, yeah, we think there's a little bit of, we like to think there's a little bit of magic in this building. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it is, uh, but, uh, I'll take whatever magic I can get at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, getting back to the history. So, um, you rehab this building. And kind of what, what was the next step um, as far as being able to, I guess, get equipment in and get the production going and uh, get the restaurant up? Yeah, um, the next step was, was we pull all of our credit cards out, one, <laughs> right? And I, I got everybody together. I go, okay, open your wallets up and give me your credit cards because I'm going to buy restaurant furniture. And I'm not going to buy new furniture. I'm going to buy old furniture. We're going to paint them 
paint the chairs ourselves if we have to. We're going to build the tables ourselves. And I'm filling this table, and I, I swear this is one of the ones I built uh, 21 years ago. Don't look at it, though, because it, it's not great. Um, but, you know, I sat down with everybody. I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take our credit cards out, and we're going to go buy everything we need to open this restaurant. Because if we don't get open soon, we're not going to get open. Um, just... Uh, that's just the way it was. A uh, uh, couple of the numbers, just so you guys have an idea. Uh, the original loan for this building, I think it was 1.5, but we had to put in, uh, I think, about 700000 of of our own money. Uh, then it wasn't a lot of my money. It was a lot of their money, which was, which was better for me, I guess, cause, but I wasn't around, so I didn't have to divvy up as much, right? Um, but, uh, and then uh, we had... A, bit, a small business loan that had an interest rate, and I know don't fall, no one fall out of your chairs, but our interest rate was 13.6%, which was great on a commercial loan back then, right? This is 97, 90, 95. Uh, a commercial loan, and luckily we didn't have any, um, uh, we, we did get tax abatements for two years, so we didn't really have any taxes, but can you imagine opening this business and our first opening payment that when, once we opened was $16,692 a month in our mortgage. That was just our mortgage. That didn't count anything else that we wanted to do. So <laughs> you'd think that I was smart enough to run at that point in time, but I wasn't. <laughs> so you know what we did is we just, we just started at it. And we opened, and uh, our kitchen was in a closet downstairs and our dish room was in what's now our employee bathroom and and uh, and the amazing thing and the only reason I, I, I gotta tell you guys the only reason we're still here is because the people of Harrisburg started coming and it, you know they, they say you build it and they will come this is a great example of that and uh, I don't take it, the only credit I take is is that we put the hard work in to try to serve people on a daily basis and give them that that service and quality and everything that we promised from the very beginning, but the people of Harrisburg is the only reason this place is here still. Uh, if we wouldn't have had the support of the community and, and people didn't come to uh, come here through thick and thin, we just wouldn't, it was just no way we would have survived. Well, I, I love to hear that. So why, why did your partners want to do this so much? I mean, they really took extreme <laughs> measures. A great I mean, they went, to, they found you in Colorado, right? And then they put all this money up. I mean, they must have really wanted to do this, and as as did you. But I'm wondering if you could speak for them. I assume you know the story. I can. You know, I can speak for them because we're, you know, we are the three amigos now. We do so much together. Our families have grown up together. Um, we are, uh, you know, we're the best of friends. They're skiing in steamboat right now without me, just in case you're wondering. That's how much I, that's how much I like you guys. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, they, they're just, uh, they've, they've always been great to me and we've been the best of friends and, uh, it's hard to have partners. Uh, if you're thinking about going to business, uh, you always want to, think, can I do it on my own? Because partners, I mean, it's like a marriage. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. You have, to, uh, you have to be very respectful of each other. You have to know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and you have to take advantage of those. 
Um, there's so much that we do. We now can go and open a location, and we hardly communicate on certain levels because we just know that each other are going to take care of the side that each person takes care of. So it's, you know, we meet every so often, but they don't need to know that I'm ordering this and ordering that and, and doing this, and I don't need to know what they're doing. Uh, but we each have our role in working and operating uh, our new pubs that it, 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 it sort of happens. And amazingly, we communicate very rarely on it. And I think that means that we're good at it now, or getting better at it at least. Can, can you take us through the decision process? How do you went from just having this one location, you're successful here, and deciding, okay, it's time to expand. I mean, that must have been a whole different thought process. Yeah, I, I think I have a problem. Uh, it's, <laughs> we're it's here a, to treat it's a, you. It's a brewery opening problem. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I operated as the general manager of, of this brewery for the first, I think, five and a half years before we, we decided to do anything else. And um, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm a, I love the restaurant business, but I get bored with it really easily. I really, and you, you wouldn't think that's possible if you've ever been in the restaurant business, but I like sort of dialing things in, letting people run it, and sort of then deciding where we want to go next. I guess I'm sort of a serial entrepreneur uh, newer in a lot of ways uh, that I, I see opportunity and that's where my, I think my strengths lie. So I'm always looking to grow the company in certain ways. Um, uh, you know, a couple things that we've done uh, other than building the brew pubs, which uh, next month we will open our seventh brew pub uh, under the Appalachian brand in Shippensburg. And we're pretty excited about that. It's, um, we took a, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, we took a couple years off of growth which uh, we opened, I think we opened three or four in, in two and a half years. And it takes its toll, it really does. It takes its toll on the business, it takes its toll on the owners, it takes its toll on our managers. And so we sort of took a couple years off and we reevaluated where we are. Um, and, uh, and I guess my problem came back and, and I just found a new, new one to open. But, uh, you know, not only have we been able to do that, which has been so much fun uh, with the new pubs, but uh, we're now selling our soda nationwide. Uh, we're selling beer in about four states and in Germany at this point in time. Uh, so we've sort of flown under the radar a little bit and that's okay, I, I don't need to be the guy that uh, is in the news, but I wanna be the guy who's moving my company forward every day. And I hope that's uh, what we've been able to accomplish. Uh, I'm excited about the next 10 years. And if they're as good as the, the last 10 years, I'm, I'm, I think uh, I'll be happy with it. How do you decide where you wanna grow? Uh, where you, where, in two ways, both where you wanna be located and what perhaps additional products you wanna offer? Well, um, one thing I learned in business is no matter what you produce, everybody wants exactly what you're not making, okay? <laughs> so, so if you got an idea, I got this great idea, I'm gonna come out with this thing right here and it, this solves everybody's problems in the world, they're gonna want it in pink or yellow or green and they're gonna want it to be this tall, not this tall and they're gonna want, you know, so that's, that's what I've learned in business, all right? No matter what you make, 
Get ready because nobody wants that. They want something else that they want you to make. Okay, so we've sort of stuck to our guns a lot. And I think that uh, one of the reasons we have is because we serve a lot of people on a regular basis. And I try to keep things somewhat the same for our customers. Not exactly the same. We change, we mold, and we move. But we do it very quietly and slowly. I used to uh, come out, coming next month, a new, a new menu, right? And uh, we'd advertise it, we'd send out, this is what we're doing and doing this. Everybody would come in for the new menu and then I would get 40 emails the next day. 20 of them were, hey, we love your new menu. 20 of them were, why did you take off this and why did you do that and why did you do this, why did you do that and do this? So now I just change it and I don't tell anybody, right? <laughs> See what I'm saying? You got, I, I got a new stealth way of doing it and only a few people notice now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but I think that uh, the way we decide to grow is to continue to look for opportunity. Try to find something that we're doing and maximize it. Um, you know, we've never grown the brewery as much as we'd like to. And, and I don't mind saying that here, but, and that is, I think, in a lot of reasons because we had a brew pub, which was a restaurant, so a lot of the restaurants in town wouldn't support us. I think it's a little bit backwards thinking because I would think that if you had a local brewery, you might want to have a, the local brewery's beer on tap. Uh, it pretty much happened everywhere else I was. Uh, uh, it's just something a little bit different here. So we had to find ways to grow. And uh, I think in, in, in your business life, you should do the same thing. You know, if you run into a wall, a lot of people can stop. Uh, a lot of people can jump over the wall and find the next opportunity, and I think you've got to do that. Uh, and so where did we find growth? Um, uh, you know, just, just to give you a small example, we would go to the West Shore to sell beer, and, they, and, and, and the restaurants on the West Shore would go, no, you guys have a restaurant. We're not selling your beer. And I go, okay, well, then I'm going to open a restaurant on the West Shore, and I'm going to sell 1,000 kegs out of my restaurant when I could only, if I sold them in every restaurant in, on the West Shore, I might only sell 400 a year. So I netted 600 kegs by opening my own location, plus I get a new restaurant. Hey, it's all good, right? For me, I'm thinking, uh, but you have to find ways to grow. And that was one of the ways. Uh, taking advantage of the root beer and then opening the soda plant was just another opportunity that presented itself. People liked our root beer. They wanted it in bottles. Um, the only thing now is, is they want orange cream soda and they want this and this and this, but I, I tend to always stick to my guns, uh, root beer, birch beer, and ginger beer, right? And let's stick with that, and we have, but you know, there may be a time where that's not the right thing any longer. So change is good. In your business life's change will be good. Embrace it. Seek it. Always work towards it because the next change could be the greatest opportunity for you. Okay, one question I want to ask you, which I think is an important question for anybody who's starting a business, it certainly is it's also important in my business, which is to reflect on what you've done wrong. So <laughs> in hindsight, what would you do? Yeah, how much time do you have? <laughs> what would you do differently? Can you name one or two things that, you, that really stand out that you wish you had done differently or, or could do differently? You went back. Um, I, I think that probably this building might not have been the best decision that we could have made. Uh, we could have built a building, probably scaled it directly for what we wanted to do. 
uh, and do it that way. But I wouldn't change it now. I mean, looking back, maybe I would have done something different. But we didn't have that mindset back then. We didn't have. We didn't know as much as we know now. That if I build a building and I design it perfectly for flow and where the kitchen and, and how everything works together and, and the bathrooms are in the perfect place so you don't see them when you're dining. You know, all those things that we learned by opening restaurants now, I wish I had known those things back then because we probably would have built that building, but we didn't know any better. We just, we were gonna put a, build, a brewery into this building and it, we were gonna make it fit and work and, and then we were gonna deal with, <laughs> did we do the right thing later, right? Um, but uh, so the things that I would do differently uh, are probably one would be this building. It's it every year the the the, the um, maintenance of this building is immense. It really is. It's just you know. And now I see it. God, I couldn't imagine running a hospital or something like that. That just you have so much square footage and and your roof. You know, you need a new roof every so often. And you know, just the maintenance it takes to to operate something this big has been probably one of the biggest challenges for us. Yeah, but if you ever get into the trolley business, you're all set. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. I can just have them come over. But don't give me ideas. Yeah, Oh, okay. So. Uh, am I done? Uh, then, uh, I hope so. <laughs> I, I didn't really um, want to dwell on uh, my, uh, my failings. Uh. Okay, um, okay, so then on the flip side, what do you think is one of the smartest things that you've done so far? And don't, don't be afraid to compliment yourself. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, you know, I always consider myself more, more lucky than smart, I think. And uh, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, I'm lucky in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so the smartest things that I've done, well, one of the smartest things I've done in my life is coming here, uh, you know, and, and, and having my family grow up here. Um, the girls are amazing. Um, they love Pennsylvania. Uh, I've learned to love Pennsylvania. I'll, I'll be honest, when I moved here, I was thought you all were crazy. <laughs> but, but I think now I'm one of you, so I don't think you're as crazy anymore. Uh, you know, it's just a totally different mindset coming from Colorado to Pennsylvania. Um, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was eye-opening for me, but I, what did I, I really didn't know anything. I mean, I thought if you went and rode your bike in the woods, that was dangerous, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so moving east was, was quite an adventure, but, but I, I have no, um, regrets in that, um. I've really enjoyed being here, and I've really enjoyed the people that I've met. Uh, and so uh, I, I take that as one of the smarter things that I've done. I, I think taking advantage of, of any opportunities that we've been given would be the other thing. Uh, just never, never seeing a wall too high, never seeing a challenge too high. Um, and that's a, that's a great trait. Uh, not only saying that for myself, I'm saying that for everybody I, I speak to and talk to. Um, uh, if you've ever worked for me, and I don't know if anybody here has, I, I can't see everybody exactly. But Raise you your know, hands, anybody? <laughs> anybody work here? Okay, good. We okay. can talk about them. <laughs> um, but if you've ever worked for me, I think uh, you'll understand that, that I expect a lot out of my employees. Uh, and it's not always great. It's not always great for them. Um, and sometimes it's not always great for our relationship, but, but I've always been one to set the bar very high uh, because you know you never get your, your goal, right? You might, you might be 90-some percent of it. Uh, the closer you can get to it, the better you're going to be. 
but uh, I've always set, set high goals for everybody that works with me, and I expect a lot. And that's cost me some really good employees, but I also feel like um, that we're a better company because of it. So that uh, exhausts my questions, but I have a whole bunch of, of your questions. So I, I say, let's get to them. Um, let's, let's surprise already. Oh, we have more. Oh, one late edition. Okay. Okay, great. I filled all these out myself. Just so you know. <laughs> um, okay, actually, I like this one. Let's, let's, I, I, I don't know if, Derek, this is your question, but uh, okay. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, how do you maintain an innovative culture within a more mature business? It's tough. Uh, again, you have to get up every morning and challenge yourself uh, to, to be the next thing. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things we're working on right now, you know, every time an opportunity presents itself, you look at what can I, what can I get out of that opportunity? And one of the more recent opportunities was that... Uh, uh, the PLCB is allowing us to open what they're calling storage locations. So for every brewery license that I have now, and this, this stuff doesn't happen in real life. I don't know how that's happening right now. But for every brewery license that I have, I can open two satellite locations for that location. Um, so what that means is for this brew pub, I can open another two more restaurants using the same license. It uh, doesn't require any LCB approval other than for the location. There's a couple caveats. One is I can't brew beer there, um, which is not horrible because I'm sort of in the restaurant business and the brewery business. Uh, but, you know, I already make beer in a location, so I'm good with that. Um, and the second one is I can only sell PA wine and PA spirits. So it just so happens, prior to that, we were opening a distilled spirits packaging license in, one, in our Mechanicsburg location, because we're, again, trying to find ways to grow that plant. So I just determined in the last couple of weeks that I can now buy spirits, really good spirits. I can repackage them in my, my own distilled spirits packaging license, and I can sell them back to myself. So now I can have my own PA spirits. And so I've, in the last three weeks, I've developed a spirit line. Um, Thank you, I think. <laughs> I know that all doesn't make sense to you, but it works out somehow, <laughs> okay? And I haven't done it yet, so don't give me credit yet, okay? But it, that's the type of opportunities that, that I wake up every morning looking for. Um, what can I do? Where can I go next? Uh, you know, we're looking at pubs, uh, a, a place in Westchester. We're always looking for opportunity but knowing, the best thing about having those, my two partners is, is we tend to, if we all three don't agree, we don't do it. So if it doesn't feel good for all three of us and we don't think it's the right deal, uh, making the wrong deal can be just as bad uh, as anything else. So, you know, I always look for opportunity, but I also ask those guys to sort of keep me down to earth so I'm not going too far and not uh, giving the company a... a a liability as opposed to an asset. Now, among craft brewers, there are a couple of uh, a couple of different models. So, in, among some, you have much more of like a brewery focus. Um, I, I guess I regard ABC as being a real true brew pub. 
you know, in, in the sense that they make their own beer, but they have a very heavy food focus. So why did you decide to do that as opposed to other routes you could have gone? Well, we realized very quickly that if, if no one in the area was going, because we had a small restaurant, if no one in the area was going to sell our product because we had a small restaurant, we had to figure out what to do. So, so becoming more of a restaurant became the natural movement for us. So we really put all of our focus on that um, and also you know, continue to make beer and, and be innovative on the beer side, but also uh, really focus on service and take away a lot of that. You know, uh, we, we took from maybe a 50-50 t- uh, time spent focusing on the brewery, 50% of the restaurant. It, it became a 90-10 immediately uh, once we realized that sales growth uh, weren't go- wasn't going as fast as we needed it to. Uh, to stay alive. Remember, we, we started out in a pretty good hole. So we had to do whatever we could do swiftly uh, to, to do that. And we, you know, the good thing about three guys making decisions is three guys make a decision, we go. And uh, we can act pretty quickly. Okay, you've maintained that in the other locations that you've, that you've opened. You haven't changed your mix at all, right? No, we, we uh, you know, we, we feel like we have a pretty good program. Um, as long as we stay true to who we are, I think that we still have some longevity um, in the industry. I think a lot of people forget to come to us because you know we've been here for so long. And I think that that to me sometimes is, um, is disappointing. But you know what? Uh, we gotta go out and find you guys. It's, it's not your job to find us. It's, it's our job to find you and, and, and figure out ways to, to better find you, figure out ways to better communicate you, to you so that you know that we're still here and you know that where you're coming to has a true soul. And I think that's what people are seeking nowadays. They want to see a product that has a real, real life to it. Um, whether the life is five years, two years old, or one year old, or a month old, or, or 21 years old, uh, I think you guys are looking for things that, uh, that are real. And we try to be real. Right. So besides your own establishment, what, what other craft breweries do you like and why? Ooh. I like well. I like them all. Uh, truly, yeah. I do. Um, and and one thing you'll know about the craft brew industry is we we get along. We know how to play nicely in the sand trap. Uh, sand, sand, trap. sand trap. Well, we do <laughs> golf together. <laughs> uh, my golf came out there uh, in the sand. Yeah, we. So we we do play nicely in the sandbox together. And and the idea there is is that we're all in the same business. We all have a certain part of that business, and the more that we collectively have, the less that the big guys have, okay? Um, we're never going to surpass, well, I don't think in my lifetime we're ever going to surpass what they do. It's just not, it's just not plausible in the, the environment that we're in, necessarily. But I think that we could grow to, uh, right now, I think uh, when I started in the industry, we were at about uh, 4%. We went to about 6%. I think recently... We're at 11 and percent of the entire beer production of the United States. So we still haven't even scratched the surface. So for us to start fighting back and forth between breweries doesn't really make any sense, right? Because we're, we're such a small core of what's there. Um, let's work on, on educating people. Let's work on helping each other make better beer so that everybody's doing well. And that's always been our approach. So when I see a new brewery coming, I'm the first person to call and say, if you need anything, you need malt, you need hops, you run into a problem with yeast, give us a call. We'll be here for you. Just come, bring a a container, and we'll give you yeast. Uh, Whatever it takes to make them better, because 
The worst thing we could have is a bunch of people come in and not make great beer or good beer and it turn out to be sort of the opposite of what we're really trying to accomplish. But if they say, Artie, we need a lot of money. They're looking in the wrong place. <laughs> okay. I have this, but it doesn't really spend well right now. Um, okay, so another question is, uh, what is your favorite beer? Uh, of my own? Or, I think so, uh, no, yeah. No. Uh, well, I've always been a Hoppy Trails guy. I, I drink Hoppy Trails regularly. I, it, it's not one of those blow-your-face-off IPAs, but it's definitely a beer that I could have one or two a day and not feel like I've, uh, I've over, overdone it a little bit. So mm -hmm. that's sort of always been my go-to beer. Um, uh, you want to know my outside the beer? Yeah, yeah sure. So probably Prima Pills by Victory. Okay. Um, I'm a big Pilsner guy. I've always been. I've traveled to Europe a lot, um, buying equipment and doing other things. And so uh, Prima Pils has sort of always been my, uh, my go-to if I'm not here and I can find it. Okay. Um, someone else wants to know if you have a mentor. Uh, I had a mentor, um, and he was a great mentor. Uh, He's no longer with us, but he was a great guy. Uh, he, he built a brew pub almost just like this in Denver, Colorado. It's called the Wincoop Brewery. I don't know if you guys have ever been out there, but it's, uh, it's, it, if you walk in there, you'll go, oh, now I know where I already got the idea from, right? <laughs> but it's like it's that place. Um, and, uh, and his name was Rush Schnell, and he taught me how to brew originally. Um, so I always give him credit for, for me learning. Probably where he, where I would, I would say that the worst part of having Russ as your, your um, mentor was, is he was an ale, real ale guy, down to the very cell of his body, right? So if you made any lagers, you were bad. And if you made, <laughs> if you put anything in beer other than malt hops and what, well, you were bad. So I became, because I knew him, I became a very stylistic brewer. I only wanted to make beer styles that were actual beer styles. Um, I never wanted to put uh, spices into beer. I never wanted to put anything into beer. I always wanted to be, you know, just the way it was supposed to be if you were ever in that place drinking that beer. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, yeah, everybody calls me boring now, right? That's, that's the, new, the new norm for me. But, uh, but that was one thing that he taught me. He's like, don't worry about making all these other things. Just make that one good and the best you can all the time. And uh, I think it was good advice. Um, the market's sort of gone a little bit different now, but that's all right. I can adapt. Yeah. So speaking of um, the, I guess, young Artie Tafoya, so um, how, how did you get into this industry originally? Uh, I started homebrewing. Um, I, I met a guy who taught me how to homebrew. Uh, this was, Russ was in my professional life, but, uh, and we hired him to help me open our, uh, our first brew pub. But um, a guy taught me how to homebrew. Uh, I got lucky enough to start teaching the homebrewing class at, at Colorado Mountain College in Vail, Colorado. And that's where I taught my future partner uh, how to make beer, and we opened our brewery together in Vail Village in 1988. So that was the young Artie Tafoya. <laughs> what did, did you do anything before you were in the brew making? Uh, just went, uh, I, I went to school, I went to CU, um, and uh, my senior year I took a, a semester off to go live in Vail, Colorado. And uh, 
I hate to say it, but I never quite made it back there. But I did make it here. And so I, I always uh, regret that a little bit, but I do know that uh, uh, what I've learned since has been, has been quite, a, quite education. Okay, so I also have a question here. Uh, how would you define success? Uh, I don't know. I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> I think most people <laughs> say that you've already arrived. Well, I hear that a little bit, but, you know, I, I really don't view it that way. I, um, I, don't, feel like, uh, I don't feel like I'm successful. I, I feel like I'm on a journey, and I'm enjoying it, and, and maybe that's what success is. I don't know. Um, I don't think success is having a lot of money. Uh, I've never viewed it that way. This has never been about money for me. I've never cared that much about money. That working with people, I care much more about my people than I care about making money. I really do. Um, and, and you don't, I don't know, there's a lot of owners like me that are out there that are like that, but I know there are a lot that aren't. I have friends who they measure their success by their, their bank account, and I just have never done that um, because I'm having so much fun. And I think if you're having fun, uh, that's success in a way. Uh, because we know how bad uh, some days can be, right? Um, so uh, I don't have a great answer for that. But I, I do know that uh, I'm not there yet. And I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to find a way to get there if there is such a place. OK. So another question is, how do you think of the names for your beers? <laughs> It's getting harder. Mm. It's getting harder. It's like... You've run out of puns? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Only so many things rhyme with hop, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it's getting harder. I, 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 I still think we do it the way everybody does it, and that's you drink a few and everybody gets funny, and then the next day you, you write it down, and the next day you, you get sober and you go, well, that wasn't a very good idea, so what are we going to do now? Right, uh, and sometimes you look at it and go, "Wow, that's uh, let's try it and let's shoot for it." But uh, it's it's gotten a little ridiculous now, but it is what it is. You got to try to find something that's innovative. You got to find something that's marketable. You got to find something that's trademarkable, um, and all those things. Or you come up with an idea and you you go, "You know what? If I get a trade, if someone calls me and says you got to stop making that, do I really have that much invested in that beer that I I can't just change the name to something different?" Uh, you know, so because you, you can't trademark everything, uh, or we'd spend more time dealing with attorneys than we would dealing with beer. Well, in a similar vein, how do you decide what kind of beer you want to make? Uh, you know, outside of your standard. <laughs> well, I think you look for trends in the market. Um, you know, we tend to be a little slower, maybe to trends, um, and it's because we because we operate on such a large format that changes, changes, uh, I always said change is good, but it becomes more difficult when you're changing everything to every party, every department of your company. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've always been enamored by big companies, how they can send a memo out and it, and it sort of gets to everybody somehow. Um, and uh, maybe it doesn't, but it, they do a pretty good job of getting it there. Uh, but it's, you know, we're a little slower to get to it, but I think once we get to it and we learn about it and we educate ourselves and we t attack it, I think we do as well as anybody. And how, how about distribution? It, it, uh, the situation in Pennsylvania as far as beer distribution is changing very quickly. Um, so how are you trying to take advantage of that? Um, 
I think you just sort of live with it. I don't think you really get to take advantage of it. You were, so much of the control of the distribution of our products is out of our control. Um, it's a weird thing to say, but truly, um, once you sign up with a, a beer distributor, one of, our biggest, one of our bigger mistakes is in the very beginning when we opened, we signed up with seven wholesalers, like in the first two months, thinking we're just going to go at it and we're going to do it. Well, what we found was that wholesalers really only want to be deliverers. They don't want to be company representatives. So, but in state, the state of Pennsylvania, we're, we're what's called a franchise state. So once you sign an agreement with somebody in the state of Pennsylvania, it's like they bought your franchise. They now own you. So we're still with five of those wholesalers, and we've never quite ever been able to get them to do exactly what we want them to do, but they do just enough not to lose our brand. I don't know if that makes any sense, but... It doesn't to me, so if it doesn't to you, that's okay. But it's, you know, again, it's one of those things you deal with. And, and you know, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Every, every legislator that we talk to and we say, okay, so these guys, we signed a contract with them 21 years ago, and um, they don't really have to sell our beer. They just have to pretend like they're selling it because they have 200 beers, and how do they sell any one of those beers correctly, right? Um, how do we get... Uh, you know, and and, the, and they go, well, you have a contract. Contract should have in there that in 90 days you can terminate the contract. In the state of Pennsylvania, when you sign with a wholesaler as a brewer, there's it's for perpetuity. It never ends. The contract doesn't have an end date. Even if you put an end date in it, it doesn't have an end date. So you don't, we don't have control over some things. But you're going to find that in business. I, I never sit around and complain about it. We can try to change it. We can educate and we can work through it. But truly... In the end, it's, it's, it's one more of those things that we deal with, and you'd learn how to get around it. And do you have an opinion at all regarding the ongoing struggle of whether to privatize the industry or not? I don't know. I, I don't necessarily have an opinion. Um, do I think that the state needs to be in the liquor business? Probably not, um, only because I just don't think they're great at it. Uh, I like business. I like. I think there's somebody like me that could could have a liquor store that could be really cool. Uh, uh, and there's probably somebody a lot better than me that could do it even better. Um, but so I think that that uh, putting the putting that business in the hands of entrepreneurs would probably benefit the consumer. Um, I would like to think so. But that being said, I'm not on a side because <laughs> they still license me. <laughs> I love them. It's a very wise position to have. You're, you're, smart, you're a smart businessman. <laughs> I think you now know all my deep, dark secrets. And, um, okay. and don't share them outside this room, okay? This is just between us. Uh, no, I, I guess all I would say is thank you guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for caring enough uh, in our town and in the community and, and your organization to be here. Uh, uh, I remember being your age and, and moving here. Uh, it's probably a little bit older still, but uh, it's uh, business is a journey, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough for supporting us over the years, those of you that have been 21 for a while, and 
And I just, uh, I look for, uh, or I hope not before that. Don't, don't. I don't want to hear that. Um, uh, but, you know, thanks for your support. And uh, anything we can ever do for you in the future, we'll be here. Thank you. So thank you for listening to the HYP podcast. Please join us for some more HYP events. Our calendar can be seen at hyp.org. Special thanks also goes to our sponsors of this series, M&T Bank, Dixon University Center, Provisions, and, and Culture. Thank you also to our host of this series, Larry Binda, The Berg Magazine, and then also for Appalachian Brewing Company for providing a sweet venue. Also, special thanks to Clark Stefanik for his editing and recording of this series podcast. And until next time, keep building in the Berg. Mm-hmm.